I knew these people. What people? These two people. <clears throat> they were in love with each other. The girl was very young, about 17 or 18, I guess. And the guy was quite a bit older. And he was kind of raggedy and wild. And she was very beautiful, you know? Yeah. And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. And she liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. And they were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make her laugh. Welcome to part two of our Paris, Texas episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, we're going to start, as usual, with the ground floor. $1 tier, the Travoltis. What do you get if you are on the Travolta tier? You get our bonus episode. This month is Much Do About Nothing, Shakespeare adaptation from Kenneth Branagh, probably the master of all Shakespeare adaptations. But does that mean that Alex will like it? I'm a little easier <laughs> to please when it comes to Shakespeare and period pieces. But Alex, I mean, it's been established that that's, that's a little harder. And so, patron Chas Fisher... After giving us the latest Jurassic World movie to do on the main feed, he decided to try his luck with another period piece on the Patreon feed for both of us to to discuss. So that's on the Patreon feed for this month, along with part one of Lohan, uh, which mm-hmm. is already getting rave reviews. <laughs> uh, wait for part two we're actually uh, getting ready to record that next week. Alex has pages and pages of uh, homework for me to watch. And I uh, can't wait to just dive into that during our uh, extended weekend. Alex, did you decide if we're going to uh, touch on Lizzie Lohan's musical career in this in this part? Yes. So, okay. yeah, we'll be talking about that as well. I, I mean, To what extent, I'm not sure, but we definitely need to, to bring it up. Uh, and then, of course, you get you know the, all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes, just what you've come to expect from us. Uh, now you move up a tier to the Winonis and all the other tiers up. You get our pre-recording notes. You get our QVRs. This month, we're doing a dual QVR again for Bad Genius, demanded uh, by Ryan from Spit and Polish. Yet another movie that we've never even heard of, a movie from Thailand. Alex and I are going to watch it sort of together, together but apart, and... Uh, We'll do a video about it. If you liked our uh, if Teen Titans Go to the Movies dual QBR, there's going to be more of that, only completely different <laughs> because of the movie. Um, and then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, listening to, thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, Julio, I'm glad you asked. I recently purchased a box set of Elvis movies, and whatever ones I work through by the time we record After Hours for this, I will be discussing. (laughs) I already watched Viva Las Vegas, but I know Jailhouse Rock is in there and a couple others. I think it's like four of his movies and then two of his concert films, So, and they're all 
bite-sized, easily palatable movies. So whatever I get through in that, I will be bringing to the table. Elvis's movies are something that I've always kind of wanted to dip into. And we, we talked about, I can't remember what it was on, but we talked was about that, that movie with, uh, uh, Kurt Russell oh, and 3000 miles to Graceland. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We, and I think in that we mentioned just the obscene amount of movies Elvis had because they're all just the same shit over and over. Viva Las Vegas has Anne Margaret. That's why I, I watched that first when I got that set. But, um, something was lost when we stopped making those. I've seen a couple of the others prior to this, but whatever I get through uh, before then, hopefully all of them, hopefully I get through the whole box set, but uh, bring that and just discussing how it used to be better, you know? <laughs> what about you? Well, what What are you bringing? I, I will also tell you how it used to be better. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I've owned the criterion of Until the End of the World, another uh, Vim Wenders movie for at least two years. Yeah. Okay. There was one time where I was about to sit down to watch it and so that the runtime was a little over two and a half hours. I was like, ah, maybe not, maybe not today. Um, <laughs> but just rewatching Paris, Texas kind of gave me that impetus of like, okay, well, let's knock out the other <laughs> Vim Wenders criterion that I own. And I saw that they have Wings of Desire on HBO Max, which I guess is Max now. Max has Wings of Desire, which is another... Vin Wenders movie that I've always been curious about because I've seen its sequel, which is also a Vin Wenders movie. Uh, it's called Far Away So Close, inspired, which inspired the song uh, Far Away So Close with Stay in parentheses, Far Away So Close from YouTube. Um, I saw Far Away So Close when I was in film school. And I didn't watch Wings of Desire because it was not available anywhere. But it's, uh, I know what Wings of Desire is about. Uh, I know it's about an angel that falls in love with uh, uh, a human. And if that sounds familiar, that's because that's the plot of City of Angels, the Nicolas Cage slash Meg Ryan joint. Uh, I've seen City of Angels, and I remember when I was watching, I'm like, this is like the plot of uh, uh, <laughs> Wings of Desire, but obviously <laughs> Hollywoodized. So anyway, I want to see the, basically, I want to see the <laughs> the Vin Wenders version of City of Angels, which came before. And, and then, why not? Until the end of the world, it just seemed appropriate having finally rewatched Paris, Texas to just bone up on a little bit more Wenders. See how I feel about him as a filmmaker, because honestly, I, after, you know, this episode, I can tell you how I feel about Paris, Texas, but I, I don't know that I can tell you how I feel about him as a director. And I feel like that's, that's a question that I should be ready to answer being a, a serious cinephile as I believe myself to be. All right. Well, you're like, I've never heard of those movies before. <laughs> Most people haven't. Well, I look forward to hearing about them. Um, well, hopefully those uh, patrons that are listening are also looking forward to it. Wings of Desire, Until the End of the World, a bunch of silly Elvis movies that made the world a better place, apparently. All that is on a after hours. A bunch of silly. I, re I resent your tone, sir. <laughs> silly doesn't mean bad. Touché. It's just not, you know, Paris, Texas. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so if any of that sounds interesting, just check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Look at the tiers, see if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are our respective tiers. Head on over to patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Take a look around. Drop a dollar in and you know take a virtual tour, so to speak. You get in on the ground floor. You can go all the way back to our very first patron post, our bonus episode on Blue's Warmest Color. Uh, you can catch up on our Roxena mega series and the Lohan series that's currently underway. 
hoping to build on the momentum we had with part one and carry it all the way through July. So to all of our current and existing patrons, we love you all dearly. And as I like to say, we are taking and reviewing applications for new patrons and we will quickly accept them and welcome you into the fray. He couldn't stand being away from her um, during the day when he went to work. So he'd quit just to be home with her. Then he'd get another job when the money ran out. And then he'd quit again. Speaking of patrons, Julio Paris, Texas comes to us as part of the patron takeover from Cold Stone, Steve Austin. What did Stephen have to say about this? Uh, yay? Nay? Why Why did this come to we the contrarians? Alex, the most important thing that uh, Coldstone said in his message is he revealed his real name. Oh. Yeah. It, he just, he went all out. <laughs> it completely overshadowed his opinion of Paris, Texas, because it turns out Coldstone Steve Austin is named Brian. He's Brian. Well, hello, Brian. Coldstone Brian. Colson Brian Austin. I don't know. I have I have a couple paragraphs that he wrote. Before we re- let's close with him. First, let's open with some rotten quotes from the Run Tomatoes website. All right. Now we're gonna start with Robert Mazzocco from the New York Review of Books, who says, "Though Paris, Texas is the most interesting American film I've seen all year, it is finally not a success. The most interesting American film he saw in 1986." That doesn't seem right. <laughs> did, did the did the bootleg just get to his house or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, Jay Carr from the Boston Globe says, The glum truth seems to be that Shepard and Wenders have let a great film get away from them. So that sounds like he was with the movie until the end. When, when did they lose Jay Carr? During the extended monologues that closed the movie? That closed it for like 30 minutes? I guess so. It got away from him. Yep. And then Barbara Scholgasser from the San Francisco Examiner says, all kinds of allegorical meaning could be read into this movie by any analyst determined and supercilious enough. It wouldn't be worth the trouble. The film is far too full of itself as it is. I mean, it does have a criterion uh, really. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if if I if I didn't like this movie and it didn't work for me, I could certainly see, like, thinking it's very high on its own farts. You know this already. I will say it for our listeners. The essay in the booklet, the Criterion booklet, is not written by Wes Anderson or by Noah Baumbach. It is instead written by film critic Nick Roddick. And it also features interviews with Stanton, writer Sam Shepard, and actors Natasha Kinski and Dean Stockwell. And excerpts from... Wenders' book of photos written in the West. I have not flipped through this booklet because I wanted to watch the movie and then have this conversation and then delve into all the the Criterion supplements. Did you do the same, Alex, or did you already dip your toes into the Criterion special features? Uh, like I said, the the raw Super 8 footage that's used in this movie is one of the supplements on this, but aside from that, I... I know it has a commentary track that I may have to listen to at some point. I've watched this movie in the past six months. I think I I, I brought that up. And for anyone who listened to our After Hours, uh, our discussion of Wes Anderson's films Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, you'll know how I came into some of my Criterion collection. And Paris, Texas is in that same category. Um, Okay. 
So, yeah. but still, if you haven't, neither of us has really touched on the on the supplements for the Paris Texas criteria. So that means that we don't really have that exact of an idea of how pretentious this movie is. Yeah. <laughs> Once you've gone through the supplements and you have a better a better grasp on it. Now, you know who has a good grasp on Paris Texas? That would be Brian Colston, Steve Austin, who sent us the following message. Hello, I recommended Paris, Texas because it is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I appreciate it more with each watch. I have a few quick notes below. I'll leave it to the contrarians for in-depth analysis. It is one of the best-looking movies of all time. It has fantastic performances that are not overdone. Scenes that are allowed to breathe without feeling overly long or pretentious. Harry Dean Stanton is especially great in his ability to convey emotions while not speaking for large chunks of the movie. The climatic two-way mirror scene is one of my favorite scenes of all time. The dialogue from the scene takes up about a third of the running time of the soundtrack, and it has been burned into my brain. The movie conveys feelings of loneliness, darkness, humor, and warmth. It is extremely human. I'm looking forward to hearing Julio's and Alex's thoughts on the movie. That is intimidating. It is. (laughs) Uh, I, I do like the idea that Brian's party trick is to just, you know, when he's a few beers in... He starts doing the Harry Dean Stanton monologue from Paris, Texas. <laughs> Brian's group of friends are, you know, the his um you know, his 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 buddies, the the ones that you hang out with every once in a while. They know he's had too many when he turns the chair around and like <laughs> takes his phone out. Uh and he knows he he's found the one when somebody recites the <laughs> the Shakinsky monologue back to yes. him. Yes. Yes. And when someone goes to the trailer, it's just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, thank you for including that note and also for being a patron and bringing this up for us. To me, this movie was always like intimidating in theory and idea because, you know, being fucking movie dork like you and I are, I had always heard about this and read about it. And it's always it, it will always sneak onto people's lists. You know, this ain't, um, you know, Saving Private Ryan or, oh, shit, what, what's like a, I'm blanking on, like, famous movies. What I'm trying to say is, like, yeah, it, it ain't a blockbuster. It's not Star Wars or some shit, but at the same time, it's still, it, Silence of the Lambs, I think, is a good example. It's not, it's not something like one best picture, but didn't necessarily, like, you know, shake the foundation of the world. I guess Silence of the Lambs has a little bit more pop culture uh, penetration. It seems to come to pass that, like, when there is a movie like this that's so beloved and so seriously praised by a lot of people and, like, critics as, like, an all-time classic, there is some paper trail to it mm-hmm. that shows that it, bodies at large also felt this way about it. Uh, it won the Palme d'Or, so that's obviously depending on you know what is a big deal to you could be considered a big deal. That's you know, I, I guess as a gigantic fan of Blue's Warmest Color, it's, it's similar. That won the Palme d'Or, but there's really not a very long paper trail otherwise of you know big impact. It's too soon to tell. I guess that's true. That's who knows. Thirty years from now. Uh, a Texan and a Peruvian could be talking about blue is the warmest <laughs> color and like, oh man, what an intimidating movie. And so I just remember it was one of those I never really got to because of that. It felt like, is there ever a movie where 
part of the intimidation of watching it is you're worried you're not going to like it when so many other people do and not in a way of like fast and the furious like it but people act like it's one of the greatest movies ever made does that ever cross your mind before you watch something that's been like a blind spot for you yes that's that's one of the reasons why i it takes a little bit for me to you know sit down and watch a classic movie like it took me forever, for example, to watch Casablanca or to get to Citizen Kane. And that's because, you know, they come with those expectations and they have so much history, so much baggage that you can't watch them without that in your mind. Yes. So, yeah, sometimes it works. Like I love Casablanca. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't really care for Citizen Kane. And, you know, just I just have to live with that. <laughs> I think that as I've gotten older, it's <laughs> it's your cross to bear. <laughs> yeah, in a way, you know, th- that's I mean, you learn to just have fun. Like now I, I can have fun whenever I say I don't like Citizen Kane. And then mm-hmm. there's like horrified looks around me. And then I'm like, ha, 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 listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it, there are times where it does bother me. I mean, you know, I, with Paris, Texas, see, it's different because when I when I watched it. I had no idea. I didn't know about the hype. And also, when I watched it, it was like, God, at least 20 years ago. So I was, the hype wasn't as big. You know, now it's it's 40 years from its release, so it's only grown in estimation. I yeah. don't know that it was that big of a classic, you know, when I watched it. It was just like a good movie. Obviously, by the, it, it won the Palme d'Or, but it was uh, uh, just something that they showed us, you know, like our teachers were like, you should watch this one. And uh so it was not intimidating in that scene. It was more like kind of like homework. But I get it. Like I've I've had that experience with other movies. Uh Okay, you want to know what a great example is of something you and I did before um we even started the podcast was when you and I you nor I had ever seen any of the before movies and it had that same kind of baggage coming along with it of like some people act like this is the greatest trilogy ever in filmmaking. And I think you and I went through a similar um, bouquet of emotions where the middle one was both of our favorites, right? No, I like the last one better. The last, that that was it. That was it. Um, It's me and Reed. The middle one is Reed and I's favorite. So we've been through this before together. Now, not with this, because you had seen this before me. And that was my first time watching this when I when I had the Criterion donor in my collection. I already had like knowledge of it. And it was one of those. And, you know, me too. Runtime's intimidating as well. Mm-hmm. Within the past six months, I can't remember when or why, but it was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and fucking watch this today. He started imagining all kinds of things. Like what? He started thinking that she was seeing other men on the sly. He'd come home from work and accuse her of spending the day with somebody else. He'd yell at her and break things in the trailer. We talked about, uh, I believe it was a patron episode or maybe just an after hours when we talked about recently, uh, not recently, a year ago, but um, Licorice Pizza, and we kept using the the phrase uh, vibe movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that, and like some people may think that term is belittling or something. This is a vibe movie in that if you're with it, it can do no wrong, but I, Paris, Texas is not a movie that if someone told me I don't like it, my immediate thought, w- uh, there will be blood. 
There you go. If someone watched There Will Be Blood and told me I don't like that movie, my immediate thought would be you're dumb. Like it has nothing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean that necessarily in that you have a low IQ, but my brain would would translate that as I just have no capacity for movies that don't spoon feed me shit or like. I don't want to watch art when I go watch a movie. If someone told me they didn't like Paris, Texas, I could be like, okay, fine. Because like nothing happens for long periods of this movie. And someone could just easily tell me that it's not for them. Like what happens in this movie does not work for me. And as we pointed out in contrarian's corner, there's a lot of shit you can poke holes in and have a good time with um, if you want to. But if this movie catches you as it did for me the first time I saw it, and again upon rewatching, it's just like I guess that, that can be a, a difference in the way like just brains work, like and difference in like attention and what catches you, what hooks you in, what the buoy in the water. Like this dude's walking through the middle of like you know East Jesus Nowhere, Texas. I'm like, where the how did he get here? What's wrong with him? What's going on? And then he says this one word. It's like, what the fuck's that mean? And then you learn like he's fine. He's not like an invalid or anything. He just, he is a broken man and he's haunted by like the love that he lost. And then he goes and gets his kid and he makes amends with the kid. And then he goes and finds his wife and he makes good with them. And then yes, there are so many unanswered questions at the end. (laughs) And like so much of like, he stole this car. He kidnapped this child. Where, where's Dean Stockwell? What the hell's going on? Sitting by the phone (laughs) waiting. Yeah, Exactly. But if the vibe of this movie has you, then yeah, it's going to be fucking fantastic. And you couple that with how incredible this movie looks from not just the way like certain scenes are framed and shot, but like the the on location shooting they did throughout Texas. Uh, It's Texas, brother. Like there are there are things that we talked about in The Last of Us when I when they. Uh, when we talked about it on our Patreon, The Last of Us HBO series, that first episode, I appreciate the effort. Immediately, that's not Texas. This movie, <laughs> that's Texas. Like the throughout this, I just kept saying, "Yep, that's Texas. That's Texas." Uh, or, "Yeah, that's L.A. I've been out there recently. That's kind of what the highway system looks like." So, to me, this movie tells a fucking just unbelievably beautiful story. I just enjoy it thoroughly. However, it is not in that untouchable zeitgeist, that upper tier of movies to where I can't comprehend how someone couldn't like it. I'm sure you have examples beyond there will be blood and stuff, but there are those movies that I just can't accept that someone doesn't like it beyond just, they don't have the capacity for that level of, entertainment art what have you this someone tells me it's boring i'm gonna be like well that's that's like your opinion man (laughs) i think it's funny that out of all the pta movies you pick there will be blood i mean i I know why because that's you like there will be blood more than i do and i think it's a good movie but uh, but i would find a lot more in common uh, between there will be blood and paris texas in the sense that if somebody told me yeah there will be blood you know it's just it meanders 
I'll be like, yeah, I can see that. You know, like there were a lot of grabs you because of the strength of the performances and, and, and the visuals. But I would say the same about Paris, Texas. You know, it's like if you let those those performances grab you, then it's not so much about the plot. You know, it's just about following this character and see what happens next. Yeah, I I think... My but I'm not as math. high on There Will Be Blood as you are. So for me, There Will Be Blood is not in the zeitgeist. Well, while I throw it over to you, I'm going to be thinking of something else because I'm now realizing it's just my massive hard-on that's blinding me for There Will Be Blood because, <laughs> because like Paris, Texas, I don't think there's any dialogue in the first 20 minutes of There Will Be Blood. So yep. uh, allow me to, you know... Uh, gestate over here and figure out another movie that works but julio i i just said a lot of things and i'm curious kind of how you feel about not just necessarily what i said but this movie in general and like the interpretations it could bring see i have i've had a completely different experience from you because like i said when i the first time i watched it there was no hype and now i've come to it with all the hype and and just a few memories of that first time watching it so it was more of a Starting it the second time because the first time I watched it, I was not particularly impressed. But I was so much younger, and it was, you know, I think that the type of heartbreak that this movie is talking about, the the, the the really complex emotions that this movie is dealing with, like I was too young to really, really engage with that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. Uh, I I just remember, and, and partly because the teacher made a point of it. You know, just the the big scene. The two mirror scene, the two sided mirror scene, uh, the big monologues, like that was the the big thing, right? When I think he told us, it's like it's building up to this, and then when it happened, he's like, "This is what I told you about." <laughs> and then when it was over, he was like, "Wasn't that cool?" And and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a it's <laughs> it's a solid monologue." Uh, and going into it this time, like I remember that I knew that we were building to that. I was like, "He's gonna go looking for the mom." And he's going to find the mom and they're going to have this really awkward uh, conversation that goes on for a long time. And then I did, I do remember that as it was happening today and on the rewatch, I remembered, Oh, that's right. He leaves the kid with her. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and my brain was telling me that doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) (laughs) This, this movie. And part of it was because, you know, I was taking notes for a contrarian's corner, but there's, it's like you said, there's a lot of stuff that you can pick apart, and I think that my brain doesn't reconcile a lot of the decisions uh, the characters make or, you know, the way that some things play out. But watching it now that I'm much older and having a better handling of, like, the emotions that that, that it's dealing with and the things that it's uh, talking about and just also being able to appreciate the just the beauty of the way it's shot and... In a way, you know, I can enjoy the movie with my heart, even if my brain is struggling with some of the things. Uh, so it was a much more uh, rewarding experience watching it, which, and I've said this before on the show, <laughs> rewatch movies that you don't like, not right away, but give them five years, give them 10 years, because you might find yourself surprised by how much you've changed and how that has actually allowed you to to connect with things that you were not connecting before. Uh, oh, yeah. So all those years ago, I couldn't connect with Paris, Texas. I I kind of assumed that it was one of those movies that, all right, well, older people like them, and but I'm like, my generation is just not for it. And and now I watch it, and I was like, I totally get it. I get why it's so beloved. I get why it has a criterion release. I, I, I get the hype. And and it works. Like, you know, like I said, my <laughs> the rational side of me is going to 
nitpick like if i wanted to argue against what sam shepherd and uh vim wenders are doing here you know i would kind of go into what we're talking about at the towards the end of contrarian's corner right like what where does this movie stand where do they stand the filmmakers when it comes to the fate of this child right like is this really the best option to to leave him with a mother that barely knows him that openly admitted that she didn't really want him and that uh can barely take care of herself right now because that's the implication that's not me passing judgment on her profession but the way that she talks about why she left the kid in the first place is that yeah. you know she didn't feel that she could handle being a mother and how has that changed now you know what does what right does travis have to make that judgment call for that kid to say you know find his long lost wife and decide yeah the kid's gonna be okay with her why because because the kid liked watching her on a home video from four years ago five years ago i mean that is the part that i struggle with but like i said maybe uh shepherd and uh vim wenders would tell me like it's okay it doesn't have to be a happy ending you know <laughs> they can fool themselves into being happy and it's okay if you look at it from outside and decide that it's it's still sad like i i understand that there's a um like a very uh animalistic you know just guttural reaction to seeing a mother and a son reunited and that automatically makes you think like this is the right thing but i don't know maybe maybe i am particularly like sensitive to that type of plot twist where i'm just like i feel like there's so many children that are being poorly raised that are in 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 homes that can't really provide for them or or that gets stuck with parents that don't really want them and all that stuff. And so I see this type of ending and I'm like, when there's, don't try to sell me this as some sort of triumph of the, yeah. of the family unit. You know, this is, this is bad. This is, this is sad. And I buy the characters and I believe their emotions, but I, I guess I push back against the idea that this is supposed to be a happy ending. Like I said, maybe, maybe it's not supposed to be, but I feel like it's, it's meant to be. got mad at everything. Even the baby seemed to be an injustice to her. He kept trying to make everything all right for her. Buy her things, take her out to dinner once a week. But nothing seemed to satisfy her. I think the ending... Okay, I think the movie is about Travis's journey. And these other characters come into it, but it's just all about him wandering until he does what he thinks he needs to do and we start off with him while he's aimless he's like a a turtle outside of a terrarium you know just no he's crossing roads he shouldn't and he's in in direct line of danger and then dean stockwell comes along and picks him up and puts him back in the terrarium and you know <laughs> says all right stay That's here a lovely man. image <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry Dean Stanton on his back just help <laughs> so I think the movie ends in a perfect way for what it's trying to do because Travis in his mind completed what his mission journey what have you was the way he knew how and as an audience member watching this like man this is fucked up you took this you kidnapped this kid you know we left him alone you uh, this woman seemed to be trying to rebuild her life and figure things out for herself and then you kind of just interrupted all that but 
he did what he wanted to do and he got to see it pay off when he saw his his son and and his ex-wife or you know a strange wife back together and then he's just gonna ride off into the literal sunset and just kind of see what life's next chapter holds um now if you want like a happy ending and a sense of completion for this movie in general you're not going to get that but the way i interpret this this is travis's journey we're following and he completes it the way he wants it to so this is where he would want the movie to end i know what i'm saying just sounds for all the joking we do about pretension and shit i i'm <laughs> wanting to kick my own ass for what i'm saying right here but that's the way i see you're, this uh, you're cleaning your glasses or uh, <laughs> while speaking into the mic <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> actually, I need, I, it's supposed to be Travis's point of view. <laughs> I got a Coors Light here when I should have like a ninety-five dollar uh, glass of scotch or something, you know, <laughs> that, that I fucking hate, but I drink it because it's a status thing. <laughs> All right, so I've been racking my brain real quick. I want to go back to my original point because there will be blood is a bad example. It's just a movie that I fucking love. So. I would say I think two movies I came up with here. One is Shawshank Redemption and the other is The Truman Show in terms of movies I think are pretty fucking perfect. Mm -hmm. And that people saying, oh, I just don't like it. That's immediately going to make me judge you. And I that's probably it's not probably it is a character flaw on my part. But like to hear someone say The Truman Show, they say, eh, I didn't care for it. I didn't get it. You know, I didn't like it. I'm just going to think, oh, okay, well, then you're just, <laughs> you're fucking stupid and don't deserve to see movies. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's where my brain will go. Cause what I was trying to make the argument of is this is not one of those. If I, I mean, I understand willing... the point. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm just telling our audience right now because I know someone listening is like, there will be blood fucking sucks. <laughs> and, and now someone listening is saying the Truman Show or Shawshank Redemption sucks. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to kick my own ass after I remembered that the like the first reel of There Will Be Blood has no dialogue and I was like, God damn it, I just you know <laughs> defeated my own argument. But so yeah. Point being, bring this home, Truman Show, I do not care what you have to say if you say you don't like it. Paris, Texas, let's talk about this. Why don't you like it? That's the difference in type of movie this is, is what I was trying to express. But all right. So it's Travis's story to me, Julio. It sounds like you're kind of there's some things uh, as far as being an adult and just knowing how the world works you can't put aside with the ending of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just uh, it, I guess I can't get past that kid situation, and I really, you know, I don't want to fall into the trap of uh, letting you know some strong beliefs of mine, which actually they're probably not as strong as I'm making them sound, but you know, sometimes people judge the morality of what's happening in a movie and basically that makes them not like the movie and that is i mean obviously if that makes you dislike a movie that's that's just what's happening right but yeah but i i would like to at least be able to separate from you know if i think that travis did the wrong thing here i can still enjoy the movie you know even if i disagree with what he did i enjoy the movie a little less when the movie's trying to tell me that he did the right thing and that's it it's it's tricky because the movie is it's hands off enough that it doesn't underline its message i don't think to where i can really go up to 
Sam Shepard and Vin Wenders and tell them like, what the fuck are you doing? What, why do you believe this? You know, like I said, it's, I think it's kind of open to interpretation. Although I think that my interpretation is pretty, I think that most people watch this movie and they would think, oh yeah, that's, it's framed as happy ending, but I can still enjoy the movie. Like I said, there's times where like that bothers me more. I can see our pre-persuasion episode. <laughs> I can find pre-persuasion pretty funny, but if I find that it's like morally weak, that really affected me in that sense, right? I, I felt yeah. that that movie was almost like being irresponsible in the way that it was painting certain things. I don't think Paris, Texas is being irresponsible by how it has its characters, you know, finish their journey. It's just that I don't think that it's... Uh, I feel that Vin Wenders and Sam Shepard and the other dude that wrote this, I think that they worship the idea of a son, a kid... A child needs to be with his, with their biological mother and father, ideally. And that idea is just, I, I can't really wrap my head around it. You know, I, I, I can't not see this movie as the story of a kid that is taking out of a household that loved him and was providing for him. I was taking care of him and is put thrown into this situation that's really confusing. It's going to fuck him up, uh, <laughs> you know, for years to come. And, and, it's, and his future is just uncertain. So I can't not see that journey. And so that kind of spoils it because I would like to watch this movie and experience it and arrive at a point where I'm just like, it doesn't have to be a happy ending. I just want the movie to be a little more, uh, I guess, to align with the way that I see the world. (laughs) So to me, the happy ending would be that either Travis or Jane or both of them realize that they have no business raising this child and Mm. they bring him back to the stock world. And then it's, and you know, Travis can still drive into the sunset and Jane can go back to the, to the club. So you need the three hour cut. <laughs> yes. I need the, I need the sequel. It's like picks up two weeks after Travis left uh, Hunter with Jane and Jane is about to just lose her mind because <laughs> she's racking up all these uh, bills uh, for babysitting and, uh, and Hunter is just very needy and she needs to find school for him. It, yeah. And the cops are after her <laughs> because because <laughs> she's technically kidnapped a child. Yeah. And that's, that's what I need. Maybe that's what until the end of the world is about <laughs> <laughs> two and a half hours. Um, but still, okay. So, you know, that's like the negative part of it. That's why to me, this is not like the old timer that I, I think uh, Brian Stone Cold uh, considers it to be. It's still a hell of a good movie. It's you know I it's I watched it and I was captivated and I was I I made this tweet, um, you know I I tweeted that I was just gonna like sit back and let you tell me about life and and it was that's kind of like how I felt watching the movie. You know I just kind of like sat back and let Vin Wenders tell me about these people and and just kind of let the 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 images envelop me and. And he just took his sweet time taking me to the story, and it was okay. It, it, it didn't bother me. You know, there's the performance from uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Like uh, the character as written, you know, requires a performance that keeps you interested, even though this guy is like it's giving you nothing. And so, kudos to him because there's, mm-hmm. a, a, I could see myself losing my patience if the performance was not that good because I'd be like, why do I care? That's what I was saying in the first corner, right? Or why do I care? Why do I connect to this guy? <laughs> At some point, 
yes, I start with the mystery of like, I want to know what happened. How did he end up in Mexico? Dehydrated, almost dying. And uh, why does he want to keep going to Paris, Texas and whatever? But the mystery only takes you so far. You know, I need to be able to care. And somehow, Harry Dean Stanton works his magic. He, he, he gives him just enough humanity that I can see past all the, the barriers of him not talking or him when he talks, it doesn't make sense. And sometimes he acts almost like a child. Sometimes he acts like he's actually pretty well aware of what's happening. And uh, I just take all of it at face value because his performance is so good. He just left her there. I went back to bed. I lay there listening to her scream. Then he listened to his son's scream. And he was surprised at himself because he didn't feel anything anymore. All he wanted to do was sleep. Yeah, absolutely. This, I mean, this is his moment in the sun. And he, you know, he did a lot of other shit, but this is what everyone talks about with him as an actor in terms of like he you know he didn't we didn't get enough mileage out of him or what have you he he is a really unique actor there's like an energy and a calm he brings to this that in the wrong hands could be like seriously eye rolling like the whole the whole way he carries himself until he finally speaks and everything mm-hmm. his like I, I guess it would be shame like he he exudes like the shame he's carrying and you know kind of watching it again watching the way he acts throughout the whole first you know 20 30 minutes of the movie it to me it seems like he wants to talk but he's just so full of shame and regret that he you know he doesn't know what he could say to make anything better and um dean stockwell's fine i don't think that him and Stanton have much chemistry really and I think that it kind of impedes what they're trying to accomplish to me the movie kind of takes off when it stops being the brother brother stuff Uh, when they get to LA and they get to the house and then you know the different dynamics start coming into the fray Um, but yeah I think I can understand why people with my limited experience to him, I'm not going to be able to recite his filmography page and verse. I have seen him in other shit, but like to me, this is the, this is his movie and it's, he, he's synonymous with it and it's going to be what people bring up very quickly into the conversation when they talk about it. And, and with good cause, I think more so than anyone else in this movie, he puts himself 100% into it and it pays off. And of course, if you're with it, up until that point in the movie his big monologue is very powerful uh you realize if you're not with it then you leave the room yes exactly if you're not with it you turn your chair around uh i i mean you can't watch that and not think to yourself oh man uh i i get why you guys didn't work out it sounds really fucked up but of course mm-hmm. every everyone's been in young love before in his case middle-aged love but you know everyone's had a relationship like that where it starts off so good and you're it's, that's what chasing the dragon is man you just want that back even if it tears you apart um chasing amy so, so to speak, to speak. <laughs> <laughs> i i buy all of his emotion in this movie 
I buy it by the end. I think that the the if the movie didn't provide when you finally get to that monologue, if that monologue didn't really sell me the horrors that that basically wrecked his mind and left him in the state that that he is at the beginning of the movie, then I would be mad and I would turn on his performance. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the other thing. I buy into that performance because I trust the movie to eventually tell me what's going on, right? It's like, don't worry. We're going to get to a point where you're going to understand what happened to him that made him into this kind of erratic person that he is today. And and they deliver. I mean, when it gets to the to, to the monologue, I mean, that monologue explains everything. And I was like, yeah, no wonder he's fucked up. You know, he that was that was some horrible shit that he went through. It, I I don't think I, I know that I didn't have that experience the first time I watched the movie. Like I said, I was just kind of like, oh, OK, <laughs> that's explanation. OK, but now I, I really buy it. And he's yeah, he's really good. Uh, I agree with you about uh, Dean Stockwell. I, I know it sounds I, I don't want to be too because it works. It works anyway. But I I think that yes, if I if you got somebody that had maybe a little more rapport with uh with Harry Dean Stanton, then those scenes would be a little better. It's hard, like I said, in Zero's Corner, he's he's like you said too, like he's talking to a brick wall through a yeah. lot of it. And so that's tall yeah, order. It, it, yeah, exactly. It'd be asking a lot of anybody. I think that uh, if you're a fan of Quantum Leap, if you like Dean Stockwell from his TV work, then maybe that well, that adds you know a little more of sympathy for his character. Maybe you you, you give him a little more slack. But he's all right. That the the show is for Harry Dean Stanton and Natasha Kinski, which we haven't talked about yet. And I think that first of all, we just have to regress to uh, just a very primal level of appreciation. She is unbelievably hot in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, a bit by design, but yeah. No, but even in the in the home movies and, you know, at the very end when she shows up for the kid, when she's, you know, not working, she's still, mm-hmm. you know, she's gorgeous. And I've seen one other movie with her in it. Uh, there's this Wesley Snipes movie called One Night Stand. I didn't think it was very good. It it bums me out that that's the only other thing that I've seen her in because I think she's great uh, in this movie. She doesn't get the screen time that that Harry Dean Stanton does, and she makes just as much of an impression. Well, and she's also given a a part that is like so dependent on actual emoting and physical reaction to what's going on because like her lines are few and far between. Once like his big monologue starts, you know what I mean? Usually mm-hmm. in situations like that where there's two characters and there's a big speech going on, it's a back and forth. But in this, you know, she gets two words in every so often. So it's up to her to react. And we as the audience, at least myself, I as an audience member, I can feel what she's going through. And, you know, the type of thing that that's why they're actors and we're not when she figures out it's him just the way Mm -hmm. like her kind of face drops like that's the kind of shit you couldn't do if you were trained to like it's just it's an inherent instinct it's an ability you have or not it's just chef's kiss wonderful 
yeah, she's she's fantastic. I was waiting for the moment. I was looking for it. You know, I knew that at some point she would realize that that was him. I guess I would have expected it even if I if I hadn't seen the movie before because that's what makes sense, right? And so I was paying attention just like what is it going to be? What's what's going to be the thing that tips her enough that she realizes? Cuz you know, at first when he says when she mentions the trailer, she she asks, but that's not entirely it. I remember I think it's when he talks about the baby, when he mentions about her getting pregnant, that's when she really realizes what's going on. But it's it's really good. It's wonderful performance. And she has like two scenes, three scenes, if you can the, the the ending, you know, in the movie. It's great. And then really the third main character is not Dean Stockwell, it's Hunter. And were you kidding or were you being serious when you said that Hunter Carson acts laps around uh, some of the other actors in this movie? Well, of course, I was hamming it up for Contrarian's Corner, but he's fantastic. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised because, you know me, child actors, I was bracing myself <laughs> for, uh, you know, not just a, a precocious kid, but I'm like, I he's going to go on the road trip and he's going to be there all the time and he's going to try to be funny and cute or whatever, but he's really good. He just he hits that that tone because he is wise beyond his years. He's too smart for a seven-year-old in this movie. But that's fine. I buy it. The mm-hmm. performance is good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it's okay that he's precautious. I, I get it, because he's not annoying. He's, he's just smart enough. And I don't know, I didn't see if that kid went on to act in anything else, but even if this is the only thing he has in his filmography, that's good. <laughs> he made a mark and then walked away. Yeah, he's excellent. The the shit with the walkie-talkies and like explaining stuff to Travis and then like when they're in the chase and we'll catch up and we can wave to her. It's like like all his thought he is wise beyond his years to a certain extent, but his thoughts in the movie all come from a place of a little kid uh and the way he presents those thoughts feel genuine and not just like, you know, uh I'm doing I'm sitting now and I got my fists on my hips and that's about that you know the like the way kids act or the, the way dancing little women yeah yeah exactly <laughs> thank you so yeah he he kind of rocks it in this and yeah it looks like this was his first credit and then he did a few other things but nothing ever on this level and he did he wasn't a toby hooper film invaders from mars wow that came out in 1986, but I'm going to take a guess that this is a little bit better. Yes, but all, all the all the praise in the world to him because it, well, another thing we've talked about is sometimes little kids as actors, it's just the way the world works. It doesn't mean things wrong with them. They they got that one go. They got that one grand slam in them. They can go up to bat, and knock it out of the park one time, and this kid certainly did here. And I. I can't speak to the rest of his career, but I can certainly tell you that he uh, he held his own with everybody else in this. Why didn't you kick him with you, Jane? I couldn't, Travis. I didn't have what I knew he needed. I didn't want to use him to fill all my emptiness. Well, we it sounds like we're both pretty positive, and that's probably because we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Alex, where where did you land when it comes to scoring Paris, Texas? So the first time I watched it, I my letterbox review is four stars, and I think that's that's fitting. I I, I would give this movie an A. It's not quite that A plus range because I I can't think of anything that I would cut out of it, but I can't not say that it doesn't drag at some points by design. But still, like if gun to my head and I, I had to say some negative things about it that kept it from being an A plus, I I could do so. But I mean, an A is still pretty fucking good. It's exceptional. It's it's above above average. So, um, excellent movie. As I've said this entire time, though, I I wouldn't shy away from engaging with a conversation with someone who says like wasn't for me, you know what wasn't for you that that there's a lot of constructive discussion I feel that could be had about a movie like this. Um, I will go with an A, Julio. This was your first time revisiting this in some time, and based on the past hour of discussion, it sounds like you came away from it not only with a Greater appreciation, but a big one. So where are you landing on your rating? I'm landing at four stars. Like solid, rock solid four stars. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I don't think I would change my letterbox four stars, but I, it's like the the hardest four stars that you can get. Yes, you can, you can chip at them, and uh, they're not they're not turning into three and a half anytime. <laughs> it's, it's just a good movie. I would recommend it. I would love talking about it with people it's kind of like what you're saying right if you don't like it tell me what don't you like about it and and we can talk uh, i we, i don't know enough to even bring this up as a serious conversation point but the idea that uh Wim Wenders is german and he's making a movie that's very much about america or at least very much set in america you know and he's really shooting in texas <laughs> and, uh, it i think that there is there's something to be said about that. I just don't know what, because I don't know him. Like I said, as a filmmaker, I don't really know him that well. You know, I, I've seen this. I saw Far Away So Close a long time ago, and that movie worked even less for me than Paris, Texas. Uh, and then, you know, I've, I own uh, Until the End of the World. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but I think that I, I'm curious to see more of his work just to see how it compares to Paris, Texas. Like, is Paris, Texas his American movie? <laughs> Because that would be very intriguing, right? Like that—that's what he decided to to make as his American movie. Or from what I remember, uh, I want to say "Far Away So Close" is set in Berlin, which would make sense. But I don't know. I I just wanted I, I want to explore more of his filmography and then revisit Paris, Texas, and see what the what the parallels are, what the differences are, and, and just yeah. see how how that works out. So I shall report in in the after hours. But yeah, this is four stars. I mean, there might be potential to for it to go a little higher. Maybe I will discover a new read on the movie on its ending when I'm exploring the Criterion supplements. I'll keep you guys updated. All right. Well, there you have it, Brian Coldstone. Hope you enjoyed it. All of our listeners, hope you all enjoyed it. Any potential first timers, hope you all enjoyed it. I think you get the point, uh, <laughs> Julio. What what is coming our way next? Is it something also just like totally complete opposite end of the spectrum? Uh, you couldn't have said it better, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> We're going from a, an artsy ninety four percent tomato meter score 
with a Criterion release, very popularly acclaimed. Well, we're going to a movie that is rotten on the tomato meter. And I want to say universally panned. Uh, I've never seen it, but it's called Barb Wire. Oh, baby. <laughs> is it Pamela Anderson? It is Pamela Anderson. 1986 film. Oh, man. The cover of that just heard with the gun to her face. Her mouth is open. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't even have it in front of me. I just remember like <laughs> video stores just holding that in front of me being like, holy <laughs> shit. Uh, this is this comes courtesy of uh, Gerald Morris from the two piece on a pod podcast, also patron. And uh, Gerald, I couldn't tell you if he likes this movie or not. <laughs> it could go either way. <laughs> Gerald likes to have fun with us every now and then. Yeah, so I I look forward to just watching it and and doing my best to just sell it as the greatest movie ever. Who knows? I may even believe it. Uh, like Alex said, thank you, Brian, for the pick. That was pretty sexist. And that will be barbed wire next time. Alex, get us out of here. All right. So we'll move on into perennial plugs. Start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. Uh, that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's Hans's work. If you like that, you can check his website for more of his stuff. Mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. Where you can reach out to him and tell him how much you like his work. Add Mildemonios on Twitter. You can email him, Mildemonios at hotmail.com. You can listen to his podcast, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian career affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. You can check out his books. There's a bunch of books about zombies. Uh, most recent one, Historia del Peru, is a fake uh, zombie history book about Peruvian history. Uh, I wrote a chapter in that. Imagine that. That's the collector's item right there. So check out Hans's work. Hans, we thank you for your support, as usual. LateNightGrin.com. Our boys over there. Uh, by the time this drops, at the end of the month, I'm doing a new Grin Grappler with them, discussing the career and times of one Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens. Those guys have been very helpful, and uh, I, I know they did some retweeting and helping us spread the word for our recent appearance on Livestream for the Cure and, you know, just do what they can to spread the word of our podcast. So if you are one of the afflicted, one of the diseased that love the sport of professional wrestling, LateNightGrin.com has you covered uh, for any thoughts on modern happenings and also watch-alongs of some uh, classic retro footage. So Joe, Matt, Oracle, Bob, love y'all. Thank y'all for the support. We continue to support you. And speaking of support, the support of our social media team, Zoe Perez and our buddy Coriari, put a lot of work and effort into our social media presence, and we appreciate it greatly. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, and of course our Twitter accounts in the bumper, but our YouTube page, Instagram page, you'll find images uh, some really great warm-up videos on our YouTube page for you to check out that are also shared through our Facebook page. And, uh, yeah, just an effort and, like, an understanding of how to put that shit together that 
Um, I don't know about you, Julio, but that, that shit doesn't really click with me. So uh, we're grateful for the social media team that we have. And we are eternally grateful for you, the listening public, as we thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>